Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John chapter number 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And if you'll, if you'll allow me this evening, we are still yet um, pretty new within the new year, although this month's about halfway over. Um, we're still a little new in the new year. And have you, have you ever, I know you have, but have you ever been along somewhere that there was a conversation going on, you wasn't a part of it, but you heard it? Surely you have, right? Been somewhere where you not necessarily been a part of the conversation, but you heard the conversation. Well, tonight, if you'll just sit by and listen to a conversation, I'm going to try to preach to the pastor tonight. Okay? And uh, you just sit in on the conversation, and maybe God will speak to you along the way. All right? The high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, John chapter number 17, I would like to begin... I was just going to read one verse, but I thought to give us a little feel for what Jesus was saying here, we should just start a little earlier like verse number 6. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Tonight, I would like to preach this sermon entitled this from John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And simply this evening, with the help of the Holy Ghost, preach, none is lost. None is lost. Can you say that with me? None is lost. God, I come to you this evening. I'm asking God that along the journey, Lord, of anything of this that seems to be still what disjointed that you would put together. Praying, oh God, that you would preach to this preacher tonight. Preach to the pastor, Lord, of this assembly. God, that's going into the fourth year of pastoring this church, I pray, God, that you would help us, help me. 
Lord, let the words be life to us tonight. God, to my individual life, Lord, as these people said on this conversation, Lord, that you're going to have with me tonight. God, I pray, oh Lord, that we would all in some measure be able to benefit from what the Scriptures say and how they are applicable, Lord, to us. I thank you and I praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. You may be seated. Look at your neighbor and say he's preaching to himself. All right. Please don't dismiss yourself. Okay. Might get a little weird, you know, even beyond what it is. John 17 holds the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And in this particular prayer, to set the record straight, to keep any peculiar arities from arising, it is Jesus in his fleshly role as man that is praying to God, which we know according to John 4 and 24, is a spirit. And much of what Jesus is praying about is he's praying about those things that concern and center around the people that God had entrusted to the care of Jesus, namely his 12 ragtag group of disciples. And of course, throughout the course of Jesus' earthly ministry, there would be times that he would entertain with his sermons and teachings the multitudes of the people that have been to a certain degree influenced by the ministry of Jesus Christ. But of the multitudes, there was that particular twelve that walked with the Lord, that slept where he slept, that were stationed in a position with Jesus to consistently hear of him, to be daily impressed and influenced by his words and by his life. It would be these 12 out of the multitudes that would share their meals with the Lord at time sleep in the same vicinity or quarters that he slept in were also subjected many times to the same storms or problems if you will, that Jesus himself was subjected to. And it's in this prayer that Jesus has recorded just a short time before he leaves this life by way of a crucifix and a death. It is in this prayer that he is holding himself or he is being accountable unto God for those that God had given unto his care. Jesus even admits unto the Lord and says, God, I have kept them that you've entrusted to me. I've guarded them. I've safeguarded them. I've, I've managed them. I've kept a fine eye of detail upon those that you have given me. And there's something that I realize, God, in all of this, that they were yours before they were ever mine. They were yours before they were ever mine. And it's as in this closing moment of his life, he's just saying, God, I've kept them, so now I'm just giving them back to you. Giving these people back to you. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, speaking of the role of husbandry or the role of a shepherd, might we even say a pastor. In Proverbs 27 and verse 23, the Bible admonishes through the book of wisdom and says, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks 
and look well to thy herd. Skipping down to verse 26. He says, the lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goats milk enough for thy food, for thy food of thy household, and for the maintenance for thy Maidens. He says uh, concerning the art of husbandry or the art of agriculture and farming, he tells those a word of wisdom. He says, look diligently, diligently know the state of your flocks and look well to thy herds. The, the, the earliest translation of the Greek of this Old Testament scripture known as the Septuagint version it renders it be thou diligent to know the souls be diligent to know the souls of your flock in a natural sense it was telling the shepherd that he needed to get out amongst his sheep or his goats whatever it was and he needed to get to know them that he needed to know where their hurts and their woundings were. He needed to know if there was any fuss among the fold. He had to acquaint himself with the well-being of the flocks that was under his care. He, he needed to know that if there were any that were prone to going astray. He, he needed to know their condition and their livelihood if all that was well. I, I believe the book of Proverbs was a word of wisdom for the shepherd in a natural sense and a shepherd in any type of leader of people in a spiritual sense that we got to know the state of our flocks I, I please want you to know that as a pastor I try to the best of my ability not to punch my nose in your business I try not to walk through doors that are not welcoming for me to walk through amen but I do try to keep somewhat of a pulse amen upon the state of my flock whether they be sheep or whether they be goats Amen. And no, no, no heartache in, in, that, in that terminology there. I, I want to know the state of my flock. I, I want to know if there's any wounding among my flock. I want to know if there's any sickness or disease or infection among my flock. I want to know what may be the theme or that they are prone to or what the new plague that may be among my flock. Amen. There was one place that we uh, went to evangelize years ago and, and uh, there was a plague that came among the flock. And uh, the plague was this, that uh, there was some particular lady in the church, medically I believe it was, necessitated that she had this gastro bypass surgery, uh, medically uh, needed, and so she had that. And as a result of that and the weight that she lost, there came a spirit of jealousy and pride among the flock. And there were women that started to get gastro bypass surgeries wasn't, wasn't dictated medically they were paying out money of their own expense doing what is it, whatever, whatever was necessary even gaining weight amen to their hurt and dismay so it would be medically done and it started happening among the flock and so, so it's important for me to, to know the state of my flock amen and then he goes on and speaks though concerning this idea contrast and comparison of lambs and of goats because among the flocks and among the herds if you will are a combination of lambs and a combination of goats and many times in scripture we see a contrast between the lambs and the goats but the comparison that's given here in Proverbs is that the lambs are for thy covering 
we oftentimes attribute to the lambs, you know, they're, they're the good ones. The lambs are the reputable ones. The lambs are the ones that you want in your flock. The lambs are the ones that you want to contend with and care for and tend to. They're the ones that you want to know the state of. You don't want no harm or disease or anything happening to the lambs. He said the lambs are for your covering. They are for your clothing. They are, if you will, the lambs, the sheep, are your first layer of protection. So you want to know the condition of the lambs. The, the lambs keep all the private areas uh, of your demeanor and your personality and your body from being exposed. They're your clothing. They're your first level uh, 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 of clothing and protection. The lambs are, are the things that adore you. They're the things that complement you. The lambs are. However, you cannot make it as a herdsman, you cannot make it as a shepherd. You cannot even have a field to pasture on if it is not for the goats. He says because the goats are the price of the field. He said the goats are the price of the field. The goats are the cost. The word price means the amount of money expected. The amount of money required. The amount of money given in payment for something. He says the the lambs are your covering. They're your protection. They're your first line of defense. But the goats that you have among the flocks and the herds, the goats are the price of the field. That if it were not for the goats, you don't even have a field. And so I'm preaching to the pastor tonight that you don't just need to look with a concentrated eye at the lambs that seem to be beneficial to you and complementary to you and a line of protection for you. But your eye must also be upon the goat because the goats are the price of the field. If it weren't for the subject matter or the activity of the goats, I wouldn't even have a field to pasture in. My lambs wouldn't have a place to eat if it were not for the goats because the goats are the price or the cost of the field. Amen. I would have the benefits of the field if it wasn't for the contribution of the goats. <laughs> I, I know this is a little odd. But Ecclesiastes 5 and 9, the Bible says, Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. He says, The king himself is served by the field. But the acquisition of the field is because of the goats. The security of the field is because of the goats, not the lambs. The lambs provide the clothing. But the goats, their interaction being there provides the field. I believe what the Apostle Paul spoke in Acts 20 and verse 28. He spoke concerning those that were in that line of tending to the herds and tending to the flocks. And he said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. Now listen to me. There can be goats, and they can be rightfully called a herd of goats. All right? And there can also be things called a flock of goats. Either terminology is fine. And there is also a flock of sheep as well. So whenever he says, and to all the flock, that could have very well just as been goats as much as it would have been sheep. And probably on the upper level, it was probably a mixture of both. But he said unto them, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, whether they be goats or whether they be lambs, over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseer, because God put those in your care. God put those in your power. If they're goats, God placed them there. If they're lambs, God placed them there.
placed them there. He's made you overseer, and you got to feed the church. You got to feed the goat just as much as you feed the lamb. You got to disperse the food. You got to disperse the cheese. You got to disperse the medicine. Just the same to the lamb as you would the goat. Because Christ has purchased all of them with his blood. Whether they be goat or lamb, he has purchased them all with his blood. And as the New Testament scripture would render, amen, just as if there were tares that came among the wheat, that both the tear and the wheat were to grow up together and they were to exist with one another. Likewise, the sheep and the goat many times must exist one with the other. And the Bible says in Matthew 25, in the last days when the Son of Man comes that at that end time God will separate the sheep from the goats but never did he tell me as a pastor to separate the sheep from the goats he just told me to know the state of the flock and in the end I'll do the separating from the sheep and the goats you go on and feed them you go on and preach to them you go on and diagnose them you go on and give them medicine don't do the separating just know the state of your flock someone say amen so I got the Bible says look well to the herds which can only mean the goats here there's nothing ever spoken of as a herd of sheep it's the wrong terminology so look well to the herds amen and so whenever I read Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 I have guidance through the words of scripture of what must be done for and unto those that are, uh, that are under my care according to Jesus Christ. When I read that chapter, I understand that Jesus told God, he said, hey, I've acquainted them with your name. That's one of the things that he was supposed to do of them being under his care. Acquaint them with your name. Amen. And so I understand as a pastor, one of my obligations is to acquaint this crowd of people, whether they be goat or sheep, acquaint you with the name of Jesus. We're going to preach the name of Jesus. We're going to baptize in the name of Jesus. Devils will be cast out in the name of Jesus. Healing will come in the name of Jesus. I got to acquaint you with the name. And he also said, if there's anything that you get through that I need to get through to them, Lord, I want to do it right and do it well, is that they understand that everything that we got came from you everything that flowed everything material thing every spiritual blessing that we have that it came from God and so I'm going to try to do that he says also Lord I'm going to preach and teach what you give me to say that's what he said in John 17 he says I'm not going to dilute it down I'm not going to water it down I'm not going to change it whenever you say go right I'm not going to go left I'm just going to teach and preach what you want me to say because this is how you want me to care for the sheep and the goats regardless what side they are on I know their state but you just want me to preach and teach what you give me Someone say amen. Not only that, God, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for their safety. I'm going to pray for their protection. I'm going to pray for their salvation. I'm going to pray for a change of heart. I'm going to pray for them whenever they're walking away from God that they'll come back to God. I'm going to pray for them whenever they're on the fringe. I'm going to pray for them when they're on the mountain. I'm going to pray for them when they're in the valley. God, understand that I just got to pray for them. Whether it be sheep or goats, I got to pray. Lord, I told you, I'm going to acquaint them with your word. Not only am I just going to preach and teach what you give me, but I'm going to acquaint them with your word. They're going to know your word. They're going to know what your word says. They're going to know the truth of that word. As a matter of fact, God, when it's all said and done, I'm going to send them back into the world. 
Because understand the purpose. You gave them to me out of the world to equip them to send them back into the world. Is that a part of our mission statement around here? Amen. God, you've given them to me for, for the purpose that they would see salvation, that the truth of your word would get into them, but God, for the purpose of equipping them to send them back out into the world. God, you want me to pray specifically for their unity. I'm going to pray for their unity. And God, you want me to pray that they experience your love, that they receive your love, and that someday they make heaven their home. That's what they're going to do, God, as the shepherd and the pastor of the flock. Now he says all of this and he makes then a very strong statement and this prayer and he says God those that you've given to me I've kept and none of them is lost. In other words God I can account for each one that you've entrusted to my care. And folks, honestly, I'm looking at you all tonight. And this is an unparalleled watermark for me. That each person that has ever been entrusted to my care, I cannot say that they are presently not lost. And Bishop, if Jesus is my example and he is my pattern, which he is, then I must be aspiring to emulate him more and not less. And I ask myself, how can a pastor, how can a church attain a none of them is lost status? And it's then that I draw some comfort from his next words. None of them is lost but the son of perdition, speaking of Judas. And so with this statement, I, I begin, Brother Mason, to a little more readily identify with Jesus. That even Jesus didn't keep everyone that was entrusted to his care. And so I though could go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And I could justify myself when people leave. Or I could justify myself when I lose one here. Or I could lose one there. Because even Jesus didn't retain all of them either. Everything's okay. This is just the way that things are. He didn't retain everybody. Uh, Pastor, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, not even Jesus retained everybody that was given to his care. But wait a minute. Jesus goes on and begins to qualify. Amen. Even that statement. He said none of them is lost but the son of perdition and the qualifier that the scripture might be fulfilled. In other words, the scripture had prophesied. The scripture had spoke that one would betray Jesus Christ. On more than one occasion, the scripture spoke and it relates the comment and the concept rather again and again that there would be a betrayer among the group. Even after Jesus went to the garden and he's had his prayer and Judas, the son of perdition, that's coming to the garden wishing to betray the Lord. As he comes 
comes and everything begins to unfold and the betrayal kiss happens. But Bible even says in John 18 and verse 9, he said specifically, Jesus, that the same might be fulfilled which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none, but no doubt this son of perdition, Judas. And so whenever I begin to think about that the only one that Jesus lost was the one that fulfilled Scripture for being lost. Then I have a pondering as a pastor in my mind that Scriptures tell me, Matthew 24, 12, that the love of many will wax cold. Scripture tells me, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, it tells of a great falling away that must happen first. Scripture tells me in 2 Timothy 3, 4, it says men would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But before again we start rejoicing, amen, because I've lost a few or a few have went out the door. Well, you know, maybe we could classify them as those that have waxed cold and perhaps the others as those that first must fall away and perhaps the others, they have been lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But after I've dispersed people in all those different categories that are no longer here, amen, that satisfy and fulfill those scriptures, I must ask myself the hard question, who have I lost? that has not been fulfilled in the scripture because I dare to say as a pastor as a church not everybody that walked out was in the great falling away not everyone that left was a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God not everybody that has went about has been a fulfillment of that their will has waxed cold and with that in mind, as a pastor and hopefully as a church, we look deep into the conversation that Christ said he didn't lose any, that we're not a fulfillment of Scripture. And so I'm asking myself, as a church and as a pastor, who have we lost that was not a part of Scripture's fulfillment? Someone say amen. amen. The old saying is true. Familiarity breeds contempt. It's true that the more we know about something or someone, the less we admire them. As we examine something or someone closely for an extended period of time, we begin to see flaws and deficiencies. That just occurred, no, always been there, but we grow familiar now. All times, my wife and I, whenever we're doing counseling for people's marriage or even after marriage, you know, there's that, there's that fine time in life. There's that love affair of a new love where all you see is the positive in the other person because it's fresh, it's new, it's vibrant. Somewhere along the life in your marriage and process, it happens, the switch, the alteration, the change. goes from now noticing the positives to the negatives that were there even from the beginning. But now you just start looking at that concentrating on that the flaws and the deficiencies and what needs to be done is a renewal of the positives that have been there as well from the beginning and so we come in sometime as a group of people a congregation a pastor and a congregation a congregation and a pastor and after years of being around each other for a while uh, what was so positive and so vibrant about one another what we said was good about you and 
positive about you or even about the man of God being there over an extended period of time exposed to one another we start seeing each other's flaws and we start seeing each other's deficiencies and I'm not talking about just among you I'm saying as a pastor that's been around the same group of people ever since I was a child really around the age of 11 except for 6 years removed I've been around a lot of you for many years so it's be very easy for me to start checking off the list of flaws and deficiencies but likewise you could sit in your pew and start counting off the flaws and the deficiencies that you know about me from 11 years old now to the age of 35 and familiarity would just breed contempt to a place that you know what we'd have a hard time separating and I was just reading this week a book amen called Jesus the pastor and in that book the man said something that was so very well that we fall prey to I fall prey to as a pastor oftentimes and that is we have a problem with getting people and their issues all muddled together and the author said this and I believe it be true for church life issues are issues and people are people issues need addressed and people need love and you don't need to somehow confuse the two Because if I don't watch myself as a pastor, you can come in here and you got issues. But I allow that issue to become your identity and I can't separate your issue from you. And I have problems with your issue that end up being problems with you. And you get to a place then, whenever that happens, either as a saint or as a pastor, that if something happens with the one that you have issue with or has the issue, you can say, well, I hope the door doesn't hit them as they walk out. You know what? I believe we're better off without them just the same. But through the viewpoint of Jesus, His words were, I have not lost any that were not supposed to be a fulfillment of Scripture. And so we should not be able to feel comfortable about as a saint or as a pastor that says, bless God, don't let the, the, the door hit them as they walk out the door. Because as a pastor, I need not lose any if it does not fulfill Scripture of them waxing cold or being a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. We must at all costs, whether lamb or goats, have them to return to the Father and let Him do the separating. I'm convinced not just here but in any church across America not everything that walked out the door was a lover of pleasure or one that waxed cold but I believe some of them were, were just tragedies of people that got their eyes more on issues and fell out of love with the person someone see We've got to keep the things separate. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be people with issues. Some of them are going to be very negative. Some of them are going to be a little bit hard to bear. But you've got to keep the issue separate from the person. What you want to go out the door is the issue, not the person. You want it corrected. You want it to go out the door. But you never want the person. If the person has to go out the door with the issue, then we failed. In Genesis 34 and verse 24 and verse 25, the Bible says, Unto Hamor, unto Shechem, 
his son hearkened all that went out of the gate of his city. And every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of his city. And it came to pass on the third day that when they were sore, that the two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. There is something of great importance that I believe is told in this story. Amen. It is true that Shechem, this individual known as Shechem, had done wrong. What had happened, Shechem had taken advantage of Jacob's daughter, Dinah. He raped her. He forced her. He raped her. Amen. That, that daughter of Leah, what he did was absolutely wrong. And as a result of this, his people, the Hivites, wanted to know, what must we do to become one? What must we do for the Hivites and the Israelites to become one? What must be done in order for us to have your ladies, you to have our men, and vice versa? And the answer was very resolute from the children of Israel. The answer for this oneness between us and you is circumcision. It's the right of circumcision. That circumcision is the mark of God's people, and so that what must be done. They said, well, what can we do that we will become one? Uh, that we can, we can become one in marriage, that we can become one in professing one in the same religion. He, they said you got to submit to circumcision, which is the badge, if you will, of Abraham's seed. And the Bible says that they said, okay, Shechem and all the other people were convinced. They wanted to be a part of the Israelites. They wanted their God, amen, to be their own God. They wanted to have their people. They wanted to be able to marry one another. They wanted to be equally yoked in that. And in all of that, they were going to have to be circumcised, have the mark of God upon their life. And the Bible says they were all convinced. They went through the rite of circumcision. And the Bible says that while they were in the healing process from their circumcision, amen, that on day three, after the procedure had been done that two of the boys of two of the boys of Jacob Simeon and Levi the Hebrews if you will the church people if you will went into the camp where these people had taken the right of circumcision to become after their God to become like their people so they could become one and the Bible says Simeon and Levi slew all the males that were there that had underwent circumcision on the third day and what I've come tonight concerning this is this the tragedy of this particular situation is that those men who said we want to take your God and we want to, we want to join ourselves and we want to become one under your religion amen when they were in that area of transition amen the people that would be their brethren came into the camp and they slaughtered those men on the third day I say that there's nothing anymore more merciless than slaying a person during a time of transition of change. What was the problem? They had an issue with them. They defiled their sister. They defiled their daddy's daughter. There was an issue. But here was a people. Here was the souls of the people that said we're willing to abandon our life. We're willing to abandon our land. We're willing to abandon our God. We're willing to abandon our ways. And we want to be under the umbrella of your God. We 
want to be under the umbrella of your people. We want your people to be our people. But the people could not divorce the issue from the people. And they went with vengeance and slew a people because of an issue that were on their way in a transition to become just like they were. Sometimes we mark, I'll accept that one, but not that one, because I got an issue with them. I dare to say there's some people in our very own community that we've had histories with, that if they walked in the door, it'd make us just a little uncomfortable. Because I've had a past issue with them. We didn't get along. We had crosswords. They didn't pay up. They didn't hold true to their word. And what we do then sometimes as they're trying to transition into the church, we crucify them before they ever get there because we can't separate the issue from the person. But we got to learn to love the person. We ought to understand the flock and the herd consist of goats and sheep and it wasn't put on our shoulders to be the separator of them. Only thing as a pastor, I'm just supposed to know the state of them. I know just from mingering around, I know that's a goat and that's a lamb. I'm just supposed to know, be aware of the state of it. But God in the end will do the separation. But I don't want to stand before the judgment seat of God and say, God, I slew them before I ever let them in because I had an issue with the issues that they had. I don't want to be a Simeon I don't desire to be a Levi I want to love the person and if I can I want to hate the issue but through doing that I don't want to get to a place that I'm hating the person with the issue sometimes Pentecost in church has gotten a bad name they describe to us hate crimes because they think that we hate people that are doing particular things and particular sins and maybe it's because Pentecost hasn't voiced it or articulated it well enough that we love people but we hate the sin we love people and we hate the issue or maybe we're rightly convicted as such maybe we are hate crimers because we can't divide issues from people will you consider Simeon and Levi this is, what's, this is what we must be cautious about concerning the mentality and personality of a Simeon and a Levi because later in life later in the book of Genesis whenever Joseph is having his dreams Joseph is having his ambitious dreams and they are growing and intensifying we understood that it was Reuben that stood up and said spare Joseph don't let us shed any blood that even it was Judah that stood up and said I tell you what instead of slaying him why don't we sell him I guess there's some merit in that (laughs) but with that being said that meant all the others was out for vengeance all the others was out for let's slay him all the others if you will including Simon and Levi who had already shed blood of somebody that was in an area of transition was in on the train why don't we just kill him What I'm trying to get at is this, folks. The reason why we got to be careful about that character and that personality is this. Because those who are merciless with those during times of transition will be apt to be merciless with those of their own who are dreamers. 
I'm just preaching to me. I'm, I'm sorry you're having to listen to this conversation. But the Bible says in Genesis 49 and verse 5, speaking of the sons of Simeon and Levi, he said, Simeon and Levi are brethren. They said, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret, into their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man. In their self-will, they dig down a wall. Look, in their anger, they slew the man. You know what? The issue, the issue was taken care of through the rite of circumcision, but they were slain. Not an issue here, they were slain a man. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Woe unto these people. See, what happens is, folks, as a pastor, as a church, if we gravitate toward that type of actions, you know, if Satan can get God's people to act bad or worse than those who do not know Christ, then the world just shrugs off the gospel altogether. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 21, the Bible states of a time, David understands that Saul, king of Israel, David, Israelite, comrade, <laughs> that Saul is desiring to kill him. He learned this through Jonathan. Saul's wanting to kill you. He's Israelite. He's an Israelite but he's wanting to kill him. David's reaction to that, he goes to the house of God, he gets the sword of Goliath, he gets some sustenance and bread, and then he flees 23 miles, listen to me, to the enemy city of Gath. So here we have a good man that's seemingly in bad company. David, why in the world did you go to Gath? That's where, you, that's where Goliath was from. Why did you go here? The Bible says that the king of Gath, who was Achish, the Bible says that David was afraid of him, but I must preface why David was afraid. Because whenever the, the servants of Achish learned that this was David among their town, they said, it's not this he who it was said that Saul kills his thousands and David his ten thousands. And so Achish was a little afraid. He had to save face with his servants. Yeah, they were a little irate, so he didn't want them to know that he might have any type of compassion for David's circumstance. Because we read of later in Scripture that David does indeed go back to Gath and he is seemingly a comrade with Achish. But at this point in time, we've got to ask ourselves then, why in the world, David, did you go to the enemy city of Gath? And I submit to you and hate to admit to you, but perhaps it's because sometimes those who are persecuted in the church get better treatment from their enemies. or treated better or more favorable or people can keep divided the person from the issue better by their enemies than they can those who are supposed to be their own. And this happens in Scripture. It was the king of Judah that incarcerated the prophet Jeremiah. And it was the king of Babylon that set him free. consider here for a moment folks and I, I know I've been up here for a while but just bear me it's not every day I get a conversation with myself none of them is lost Levi Jochebed the wife of Amram the mother 
mother of Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Jacobed was the daughter of Levi. The mother of Moses was the daughter of Levi. Levi, the one who had done this horrendous thing of slaying people in their time of transition. Folks, I think this, this idea that coming right here bears something true, that lessons are taught. They're not always taught within the same week. It may take years and even a lifetime. But lessons are taught. Because Jacobed, the, 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 the daughter of Levi, the, the, the wife of Amram, the mother of Moses, she would have a son, Moses. She's a daughter of Levi now. And that son, Moses, would be reared in the house of Pharaoh in Egypt for 40 years, from the moment of time from about three months old onward. That same man, Moses, who was the son of Jacobed, who was the daughter of Levi, I'm tying that back to that consistently, then would go into a desert place on the backside of a desert. He would marry the pagan daughter of a Midianite priest and for 40 years be on the backside of a desert. And so after a time frame of almost 80 years, 40 in Egypt and 40 being with or around or amongst the heathen Midianites, he would finally return to Egypt to be God's deliverer for the Israelites. So if you can just for a moment bear in mind that this grandson of Levi took almost 80 years for him to transition back as an Israelite that I believe was a lesson learned for granddad Levi trying to slay someone during a moment of transition. It would take his grandson 80 years to get back to the turf and the proper standing of an Israelite. And he had taken advantage so many years earlier of someone that was in a place of transition. We got to be careful about trying to be so ruler-minded upon people with their issues when they're in a moment of transition. Because if we haven't had children yet, We haven't had children yet. We better watch it because there could be something that takes them down the road away from the Father's house. And they may be in long time transition. And it could very well be we need to learn how to be merciful for others during their moments of transition because we're going to have to be merciful for those in our own house. And that, name, that, that might not ever rear its head, maybe teenage years. They can become adults and then fall off the path and it can happen. But we got to learn to keep the issue separated from the person and keep on loving and admiring and appreciating and encouraging the person and keep on preaching and teaching concerning the issue. Amen. My kids are still young. They're not teenagers yet. Nothing's to say what may be in holding for them. You say, well, 
Pastor McGee, if you're a good father and you're doing like you should, that wouldn't happen. Let me point to if several maybe individuals within this own church that were good parents and it still happened. We better be cautious. We better be merciful. I'm, am I doing all right here? I know my clock says it's done, but that's just a number. I learned, you got a little bit of time, because I don't want to mess anything up, okay? Concerning this idea and concept of mercy, if I can just read a scripture, it won't be up there. If I can get to it here quick enough, I'll read a scripture here tonight. Amen. For us just to ponder, amen, if you will. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 37 and verse number 8, and I hope all of this, I hope this isn't so disjointed that it doesn't make sense. But, 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 but in Exodus 37 and verse number 8, the Bible says in speaking concerning some of the furniture of the tabernacle, it says one cherub on the end of this side and another cherub on the other end of that side. And this is the phrase I want you to consider. Out of the mercy seat made he the cherubims on the two ends thereof. The two cherubims that were on the Ark of the Covenant. Whenever you see cherubim, you'll understand the first time it ever came into being, it was the one that kept the garden after the transgression. They're protecting the tree of life. You see them in the book of Ezekiel and it seems as though as you read that the throne of God are being upheld by the cherubim. And it's here again that God's presence would come down and make itself known among the children, the cherubim. But the importance is this. And sometimes we look at cherubim, they're, they're, they seem to be supernatural. They seem to be angelic beings. If nothing more, they are protectors of His presence. And the Bible says, here are these molded cherubims, these angelic beings, protectors of His presence. When you see cherubims, His presence is near and these angelic beings are made out of the mercy they were products of the mercy seat can I tell you tonight as church and I know we've had great moves of God and great feelings of God and we have sensed and witnessed his presence but some of the nearest moments that you are ever are to his presence and with angelic visitation is when you're showing and exuding mercy because out of mercy came the angelic, the cherubim, the supernatural. Mercy is the raw material for the supernatural. Amen. And so we got to learn to have mercy. I'm just going just a little, little, little while longer and I'll even let you stand with me if it makes you feel comfortable. But I'm still talking to myself. In Genesis, stand with me. Genesis chapter 33. That wasn't a joke. Been eavesdropping for the past 45 minutes. Think you could pick up on that. The Bible says, and he said, This is Esau speaking to Jacob. And he said, Let us take our journey. He's just met back up with his brother that there were some issues. And he says, Let us take our journey and let us go. And I will go before thee. Esau says, I'll go before you, Jacob. 
Jacob now he left with just a staff in his hand. Now he has sheep and goats. He has livestock. His family has grown. And the Bible says, he said, speaking of Jacob, and Jacob said unto Esau, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant. And I, Jacob, will lead on softly according as the cattle, which is literally possessions. He's speaking of his lambs, his goats, all his herds and flocks. According as the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. You know what Jacob was saying? He said, I got some young children that's under my care. I got some young goats, young lambs under my care. And you're here with your horsemen and with your entourage. And I'm afraid that if we were to follow you, you're going to be wanting to advance at a speed that would be detrimental to our young. You're going to be wanting to advance at a speed that would be detrimental to the young calves and the young lambs and the young goats because they got to stop every once in a while and get some milk from mama. And he says, so why don't you go on ahead? Because I couldn't bear getting to where we're going and having lost some. You go on ahead and I'm going to travel at a pace that's going to be accommodating for the young children. I'm going to travel at a pace that's going to be accommodating for the young lambs and the young goats without any discrimination in mind because I want them to make it to the same destiny that all of us are trying to make it. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying perhaps in years to come, listen to me. I've not always been the best man. There's times maybe I've spoke back to you in a rude tone. Maybe times I had the wrong tone of voice. Maybe I had a snark on my face. I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm trying to keep the ones that God has given to me. But with that being said, those of us that have grown familiar with one another, whenever there's a new lamb birthed or a new goat birthed or a young child that just comes new in the church, listen to me. We might not always be able to travel at the pace that we're traveling at right now. I might not always be able to preach the sermons that I've preached for the past few years where we're trying to just dig out some precious troves and nuggets of truth. Sometimes we're just going to have to talk about mercy for a Sunday night. There's some nights we're just going to have to talk about the generality of love on some Sunday nights. Why? Because there's some that's with me that I've received from Him that I can't move too quickly. i got to move at a pace that everybody can be tended to. Everybody can be cared for. And as a mature Christian you know what I got to do I got to understand they're young they still have to stop and drink from mama every once in a while but I'm not too good for milk either 
I'm not too good for some milk either. I heard it, I believe it was an old evangelist friend of mine, Brother Thornton, stated it like this one time. He said, we can't become so professional in our preaching that we cannot connect with new people on a very general level. And that's the way I feel around here. Amen. I know we're trying to get all the precious truths, something nobody's heard because they've been in church for 25 years and they've heard it all. But there's sometimes we're just going to have to go back to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because God submitted some to my care and I can't lose them for the sake of everybody else. I don't want any to be lost that was not scripturally fulfilled as waxing cold or being a lover of pleasure. I got to, I got to emulate my Lord. I got to bear the same report that he bore that none is lost. I got to stand before God as a witness. I got to stand before God with the account settled concerning those he's given to my care on that day. I got to give them in their completion back to him if it wasn't fulfilled as scripture that they fell away because there was going to be one or they was going to wax cold. I got to give them back to him. I got to give account. And so that means I'm going to have to deal with some issues. That means I'm going to have to deal with some goats. And by saying dealing with them, that doesn't mean showing them the door. That means feeding them and tending to them. And what I'm asking of you to help me is that you would do the same. I'm asking us as a church if we can just pray about issues and we can keep on loving people and not get the two confused if we can just show issues the door but keep on with a welcoming arm beckoning the person and not get the two confused because I want to report that none is lost hallelujah brother Mason if you can come to me thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.